0: Good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning, as Brian was just saying. When the Hebrew writer... As you have heard us say before, it talks about the fact that we should not forsake the assembly, which is true and something that we shouldn't do, we shouldn't skip, we shouldn't not want to be here, but he talks about there as well the fact that part of the reason we come together besides worshiping the Father is encouraging one another, and it is. It's encouraging to be together, to enjoy a beautiful day such as today. We hope that you were safe yesterday if you were caught in any of the bad weather, but we're thankful that we are able to be together here this morning. As is sometimes the case, we've got several back amongst our midst who are our members who are sometimes away and gone from us. We're thankful that Jessica was able to be with us this morning. It's always good to see Sun out even when he doesn't feel like it some mornings he tries his best to get here and there are many others of course of our own members who are here this morning. We're glad to see you but especially as well to our visitors. Uh, We're thankful that you have come our way. Uh, By what I can tell we've got several in our midst this morning and we want to take a chance to greet you we're thankful that you're visiting with us this morning. It is our busy day of the month, the second Sunday of the month. Our teens will have the teens singing this afternoon, and then we'll have Bible bowl practice uh, this afternoon before services. We have our Saudi Daisy healthcare service at two o'clock as well. And of course, we hope that you'll be back with us again this evening. We're going to be taking a look at the book of first and second chronicles together in our book of the month club, taking a look at those and seeing what application we can make for ourselves. As has already been said several times, we are very, very sad at the passing of our sister Evelyn. We're thankful that Bill could be with us this morning, and we want to continue to pray for him. Uh, And, of course, we want to honor her and her memory and honor this good family. Uh, We had mentioned in our call to the congregation that we would be talking about uh, providing a meal for this family. That will still be taking place. Uh, If you're here this evening, you can see Hannah or uh, Julie Brown or Lisa Holland. They'll be making help making arrangements that we can do that on Tuesday afternoon after the funeral. But we certainly are sad at miss evelyn's passing uh, faith put the little note in the bulletin there about how great of a woman she was and certainly we'll have a chance in the next couple of days to honor her that was one reason just by the way that our ladies class uh, is going to be canceled tomorrow night uh, so that those uh, of our number can attend the visitation you know <clears throat> you might have heard it said before that everything happens for a reason everything happens for a reason i don't know that there is an exact science behind that I think it could be a little arbitrary at times when we say, well, everything happens for a reason. Uh, Unfortunately for a lot of folks, they only say that at the right time, right? When good things happen. Well, everything has worked out and everything happens for a reason. We do say it sometimes when bad things happen. We try to encourage one another and, and we say that. And of course, when people use that phrase, what they're talking about is the providence of God. They're sort of summing that up and taking this big idea... And boiling it down to this idea that everything happens for a reason. We live in a world of extremes. We don't have to really point that out in many numerous ways. One of those ways in regards to this topic, though, is the idea of deism. Deism is the concept or the idea that God exists, but he has no contact contact at all with humanity. He's sort of hands off. He may be disinterested, some might say. He is distant, but there is a God but he's just sort of hands-off from everybody. He doesn't really get involved with any affairs, and that is called deism. Maybe on the opposite side, to the other extreme, is what we just talked about a moment ago. The opposite of that would be this, this idea that God exists, but virtually every activity, especially the good for us, happens by miracle, some might say, or because of God. That God causes everything to happen and he, he touches everything even in a miraculous way, if you will, from time to time. You know, I believe the Bible. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I, I believe the Bible. I believe that Peter writing there is saying something that God does care for me and he cares for us. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 40 in verse number 17 says, yet the Lord thinks on me. The Lord thinks on me. That kind of makes it a little personal. Yes, he cares for the whole world, but at the same time, he cares about me individually. And even in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. We're talking about providence, the providence of God. When we think about this idea of providence, uh, the word comes from a Latin term, providentia, however you want to pronounce it, providentia. Uh, that's the Latin term that literally means foresight. When we talk about providence, we're talking about foresight. And so that's sort of what we mean when we break it down into our human terms. But we might also say that providence is God's working through his natural laws or law in order to accomplish his purposes in life on earth. God's working through his natural law to accomplish his will or to accomplish his purposes in life here on this earth. But there are a couple of problems with that to begin with. Just a couple of things to note. Number one, the word providence is not actually found in your Bibles. You can search from the beginning to the end, and that word providence is not actually found anywhere in the Bible. Now, it's a biblical concept. I mean, it's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So it kind of talks about it, but the word providence is not used. But secondly, and I believe this, we're going to talk about this this morning, but I believe we cannot know Without a shadow of a doubt When or how God works providentially We cannot know without a shadow of a doubt When or how God is working providentially And that causes us a little uneasiness But we're going to talk a little bit about it More about it this morning Wayne Jackson, Brother Wayne Jackson Who's written for the Christian Courier Says it this way and he's a really smart guy A very smart guy But he breaks it down providence in this way That the providence of God is a provable, non-provable proposition. That's a smart guy. I don't know what you do with that. But it's a provable, non-provable proposition. And I heard our brother Dan Winkler give a lesson once on this. And he quoted Wayne Jackson saying that. And he said, you can prove with the Bible that God works providentially in your life. But you can't step back with certainty and say, well, that was God. Hear me out. We're going to keep going through this. And I love the perfect illustration. Some of you have heard me use this before, but I think it's really beneficial. I'll share it one more time here. I'll put it in my terms or, or in my life. Let's say that I prayed to God that he would give Hannah, my wife Hannah, to me as a wife. I prayed to God that he would give Hannah to me as a wife. And, and when I asked her to marry me, she said yes. Now, was that God working providentially in my life, in her Or was there some woman over here saying, God, please don't make Joel my husband. (laughs) So was God answering my prayer or her prayer or both? Well, that's a pretty humorous way to look at it and say, yes, God works providentially. But maybe we can't say without a shadow of a doubt when providence is taking place sometimes. You see, to delve into God's providence is to rattle your brain, if you will. But God is at work. Now, there's something else that we need to consider this morning to begin with to kind of set the stage for us. And that is the idea of God working miraculously and God working providentially. We need to understand something up front this morning when it comes to this discussion. Miracles have ended, but providence is going on every day. The age of miracles has come to an end. I believe the Bible says and is teaching in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 through 16, as well as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 8 through 11, that the age of the miraculous has come to an end. Now there's a whole deep discussion there about miracles that we don't have time for in the lesson this morning. But in Jude chapter 3, or Jude verse 3, excuse me, Jude says that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. There is no more new revelation. And if the purpose of miracles was to confirm the message or to confirm new revelation, and revelation has ended, there is no more new revelation, then there are no more miracles in today's world. But even though that be the case, an all-powerful God is still able to accomplish his will. An all-powerful God is still able, not having to work miraculously, but to accomplish his will. I say it again, miracles have ended, but providence is going on every day. Let's look at a couple of examples to see the difference. When we talk about the miraculous and the providential, first of all, we talk about Mary and Hannah. Now, you'll notice these names as to mother. So we're going to talk for just a moment about birth. When we think about Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, as well as Isaiah, writing many, many years ago in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, we know that Mary was a virgin. She did not know a man in the sense that the Bible talks about knowing a person in that sense. And yet Mary brings forth a son. And so when we read that, when we see that, we understand that to be the miraculous. Because here is a woman who has not known a man who is bearing and delivering a child. That would be miraculous. But I've already shared with you before one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet Hannah. And Hannah, as well, is barren. Hannah has not had a child. And she wants one, and she prays to God desperately, as it were, begging as it were for a child. God hears her prayer, but in 1 Samuel chapter 1 in verse number 19, we see the phrase that Hannah knew her husband Elkanah or Elkanah. So, Hannah is going to bring forth a son, but she is going to do so by natural means. She has prayed to God, God has heard her prayer, and she has known a man and here we have a baby boy that's going to be born. One is miraculous, one, we might say, is providential. There's a second one here in Isaiah chapter 37. In Isaiah chapter 37, we meet and someone that is talked about throughout the Old Testament in a few different places. But Isaiah chapter 37 and verse number 36, Sennacherib's army is going to meet its end. And the Bible says there, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians one hundred and eighty-five thousand. That's not uncommon for people in the Old Testament to die. But notice, and when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. You see, God here uses a miracle, if you will, to take out Sennacherib's army. That there's no fighting going on all night. I would assume that people are asleep. And they wake up, and instead of looking at an army of 185,000 on the other side of the battlefield, there's bodies everywhere, and they're all dead. And they can claim victory, but not through natural means, not by their own strength or their own sword, but because of a miracle by God. But go back, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 37, and look at verse number 7, because we talk about Sennacherib here. God says, surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now go back again to the chapter 37, the end of the chapter. After we read about the death, the miraculous death of Sennacherib's army and verse number 37, so the king of Assyria departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping, as he was worshiping his God, that his two sons struck him down with the sword. We see that his army was destroyed in a miraculous way, but it would seem that Sennacherib himself, the king of Assyria, was killed and died in a providential way. God could have done it any number of ways. He could have struck him dead. He could have done anything, but instead he caused him to go home and his sons killed him in a very natural way there. So there is a difference between the miraculous and the providential. It doesn't take a scholar to see the difference in these four examples. All four cases involve heaven. All four cases involve God, as it were, guiding certain events. But one more time, the age of miracles has ended. But God's providence is going on every day. Brothers and sisters, friends, God is at work. We cannot know without a shadow of a doubt how or when God works providentially, but he is still at work. And what's great about all of that, if he truly is an omnipotent, all-powerful God, if he is an all-powerful God God who is able to work through his natural laws providentially, he is able to do so just as he is able to supersede his natural laws and work miraculously. He is the God of heaven and he is at work. When we talk about the providence of God, though, this morning, there are two things that I would like for you to understand. Two main concepts. And I heard Brother Cliff Goodwin give uh, these one time in a lesson, and it was on something else, but he touched on them. I thought, let's make a great lesson on providence. Two main concepts that I think would help us going forward as we think about the providence of God. Number one, and if you've got your bulletin in front of you and you're writing in the blanks, I'll give you just a moment to start filling in there the first point that we would make about the providence of God. And that is, first of all, that God's providence mysteriously, mysteriously, and it is a mystery because I can't stand up here this morning and pinpoint every instance of God's providence. I can't identify each instance and I sure can't explain the ins and outs of it, but God's providence mysteriously has a way of having the right people in the right places at the right times. And that brings a smile to my face this morning and every time that I consider that fact. Because I don't know how he does it. I don't understand how he does it. I don't know how he gets it done. I don't see all the pieces that are moving in place, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that he does it. That he is working providentially. And please don't shy away from that word mysteriously. We don't have to know everything. We can't know everything. We won't know everything. But that's the way that God's providence works. In Esther chapter 4 and verse number 14, perhaps one of the most well-known cases of providence that we know about that people like to quote from. And this is the example that many people would go to. Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, Esther, the queen of Persia, has become the queen of Persia. And as she is ruling, her cousin Mordecai finds out, of course, about the plot to kill and exterminate all of the Jews. Mordecai goes into mourning. He is in sackcloth and ashes. He is in hiding. And he and Esther began to swap messages back and forth, as it were, talking with one another. She's looking for him. She's wanting to know what's wrong with him. He is writing to her, explaining this plot that he has uncovered. And in Esther chapter 4, in verse number 14, Mordecai writes, For if you remain completely silent at this time, Queen Esther, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. You see, Mordecai is writing here saying that, that we're wanting you to act. I want you to act, but I understand you're in a no-win situation, Esther. You're, you're probably going to lose your life either way. If you go before the king uninvited, he'll kill you. If you stay and they find out you're a Jew, they'll kill you. I understand that, but God will provide deliverance from someplace. Our late brother Curtis Cates who wrote... And worked at the Memphis School of Preaching for many years, said it this way: God is never caught off guard without any contingency, though. And when Mordecai says this here, he finishes out that statement with the one that everybody knows. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, people around the world quote this verse: it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, and everywhere in between, but what does it mean? I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what it means, but I know that he gets it done. God's providence has a way of having the right people in the right places at the right time. But secondly, this morning, God's providence is also such that God in his infinite power, beyond my imagination and your imagination, God's providence is such that God in his infinite power power can take evil and mysteriously I've got to use it there again because I can't explain it but mysteriously he is able to turn it to produce his will God's providence can take e v i l evil and without being party to it he's not the origin of it no is he part he is not party to it in any way and he turns it to produce his will And this has to be one of the most frustrating things for Satan. Can you imagine? Now, I don't have any pity for Satan, right? Really at all. He is our adversary. But it's got to be one of the most bang-your-head-against-the-wall, frustrating things for Satan to know that he can do his dead-level best to produce evil, but God can turn it for good. And it's perfectly encapsulated in the Bible by a great man named Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20, you're familiar with the story of Joseph, right? You've heard it before, no doubt, in Bible class or at a vacation Bible school or any any number of places. But you remember that after the hatred, after his brothers have hated him, after they've taken his coat of many colors, his gift from his father, after they've thrown him in the pit, after they've sold him into slavery, which, by the way, then leads to, of course, the accusation by Potiphar's wife, being put wrongfully in prison, and everything else that comes in between the beginning of the story there in Genesis of Joseph and all the way to Genesis chapter 50. Everything that has taken place between him and his brothers in between. When they are on the ground, the Bible says their faces are on the ground, no doubt trembling with fear. Tears streaming down their faces, begging for their life before their brother Joseph can look them in the eye. And he can say, but as for you, you meant it for E-V-I-L. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. Joseph can look at them and without a doubt say, you meant it for evil, but my God can turn it for good. And he did. And here I stand today, able to pardon you. And able to move forward together again because of this great God that we serve. There's no way that we can lose because God is going to win. When our enemy does evil and our God turns it for good, we cannot lose. And perhaps the greatest example is Calvary. Matthew chapter 27 and 28. Satan and his cronies have taken the Son of God and they have nailed his precious body to a wooden cross. He is hung there in agony for hours Suspended between heaven and earth as it were. He gives up his spirit. Slipping into the Hadean realm. And for one whole day. On that Saturday the black flags of hell. Wave at their highest. And they can say we have killed the son of God. But early on that Sunday morning. God takes that evil and he turns it. For good. Friends we cannot lose. When we are on God's side. We serve a God who works providentially. And I may not be able to know each and every moment what he is doing and how he is working. But knowing that he doesn't have to work a miracle as we talked about earlier. But is still able to accomplish his will on this earth. Friends, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. To plumb the depths of the wondrous works of God. How much He loves His people. The God of heaven cares about me and the God of heaven cares about you. And He is able. He is able to do and accomplish His will. Even through natural law. Even through His providence. And it's frustrating for us. It is frustrating for us at times when we don't understand it. When we can't pinpoint one thing and say why. Why did that happen? Or why did that not happen? But God's providence is still at work. It doesn't have to be miraculous. And he can still work in our lives. And he has a way of having the right people in the right places at the right time. And you better believe that in his infinite power, he is going to take the evil in the world. And of course, as Jesus has already claimed victory, turn it for good. And we can take peace and comfort in that even this morning. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to go ahead and place your Bibles aside if you would like to and focus for just a moment on the Lord's invitation. The providence of God. God is working. God is faithful to those who are obedient to Him. You know, I was thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 29. and verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed to us or revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. We can't and we won't know everything. And that frustrates us sometimes. But may we ever strive to be faithful to him through it all, the highs and the lows. And even as I thought about Deuteronomy 29 there, that we may do all the words of his law. We don't live under the old law, as the writer there of Deuteronomy is saying, but we still have a responsibility to be obedient to him. For us in the year 2020, and for almost 2,000 years, that has involved being obedient, being faithful. And that has involved being obedient to the gospel. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You can participate In that, with him, by being baptized for the remission of your sins. It's in that act of obedience that you come in contact with the blood of Christ that was shed to take away sin. Something that could be portrayed at least for one day as evil. God turns for good and all mankind can be saved. But perhaps this morning, as you've thought about this simple plan of salvation, you've done those things. You've been added to the church by God. Perhaps you become a child of God, but you have strayed from the faith. You've not put your trust in him. You've allowed sin to separate you from him. Come home. Come home to him. Don't delay any longer. Through confession, repentance, and prayer, he has made the way possible. As we are about to sing this song of invitation, one of our elders will be here at the front to assist you as we would all be willing to pray with you and for you. If you need to make a change as we stand together and as we sing.